Welcome, you're listening to The Difference at Work, a KGA podcast for managers and HR professionals eager to hear from experts and to bring new perspectives to our work. In offering employee assistance and work-life programs, KGA hears from clients every day about their increasingly complex work environments. On our podcast, you'll have a front row seat for conversations touching upon everything from crisis management and substance use to employee engagement and parenting challenges. I am Seth Muller, president of KGA. Today's episode of The Difference at Work is focused on accommodating working parents during a pandemic. My guests are Sarah Douglas and Amanda Hem, co-founders of Sutiens. Founded in 2018, Sutiens helps organizations do a better job of supporting the needs of working parents by addressing issues such as corporate culture, flexible work policies, manager education, and focused communications. Amanda, a mother of two, believes community, education, and support for parents can create an environment where parents and companies thrive. In 2015, she dedicated herself to serving parents in the prenatal period as a postpartum doula and a breastfeeding educator. Sarah's work in epidemiology, along with her own experience as a mother, brought her to the pregnancy and postpartum health world. A postpartum doula since 2015, she co-founded Sutiens to support parents transforming into working parents. So Sarah and Amanda, thank you for your time today. We're really pleased to have you here. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Thanks so much for having us. You bet. Let's dive right in. We all appreciate that 2020 has presented some just extreme situations and stress for parents. I certainly say this and share this as a father of three daughters, school-age kids but I have colleagues with babies and children that need daycare. It's hard, and it certainly looks like it's going to continue to be difficult. And we also know, this is KGA, we also know as a provider of employee assistance programs that many working parents are struggling with this. They're calling us on this topic every day. But what I would love to understand is your perspective from what you do, what's happening to parents, how is this manifesting for them, what do you see? Sure. This is Amanda. Thank you for having us on. How this is manifesting, the word that keeps coming up over and over again is unsustainable. We hear this from working parents all the time of the fact that they feel like they can't do their best at work and they can't feel like they're doing their best at home. And this is a sentiment that has been around for decades, right? That's not new, but with this extra layer of COVID on top of it and kids at home and parents at home or parents having to go to work because they are essential or their places of employment are open, trying to find childcare is definitely a whole new situation that none of us have been prepared to go into. So some of the things that we're hearing from parents We run parenting power hours where we bring together parents from different organizations just to crowdsource ideas and to find that community and what they're doing. And the things that we're hearing are based in guilt. You know, I'm I'm never out of sight for my kids. And so when they see me, they just think I'm ignoring them. That isn't necessarily the case, of course, but that's how they're feeling that they're being perceived. Parents are exhausting themselves just trying to make it all work, and they're finding that their own self-care and their own mental health and physical health is being shortchanged. And then there's the constant interruptions that they're having during the day. I don't know about you, but sometimes I just need to focus, and there's no way to focus when everybody is around you all of the time, right? Oh, absolutely. 
there was actually a story that I was reading that one parent tracked how many interruptions in a three-hour work window, and there were 45 interruptions <laughs> with the yeah. average amount of focus being three minutes. Between the interruptions and the tracking, they certainly got nothing done in those three hours. Um, Absolutely. Right. Let me hear a little bit, perhaps, Sarah, from you around the perspective of the organization side. How is this being viewed? Where is that conversation today? So we know that companies have started to switch gears, right? It wasn't all that long ago that we were talking about, for example, paid maternity leave. And now we've broadened that to include paid parental leave. We're recognizing that both parents have an investment of being both employees and parents as well. And we're also seeing that employees are choosing or valuing benefits over salary. So we know that there's this marketplace shift of offering more in the terms of supports versus just, here's your compensation, here's your salary. What the pandemic has done is it's accelerated that because women are looking at leaving the workforce. Men are looking at leaving the workforce. There's a study from Clio that shows that one in three families has a parent who has left the workforce or is going part-time. So we know that we are losing people in the workplace and we need to find ways to keep them. And smart companies are recognizing that in order to not just attract working parents to come work for them, they need to be able to retain these working parents. And a company can do that by living out its values and by really creating a company culture that is supportive of its entire workforce. So I hear you pointing to very tangible things like the benefits offered, like the employee services that are being offered, the employer helps with access to resources, as well as, and you're using the word culture now. So let me just hear a little bit more around culture. What does that shift look like? How does that manifest at employers that you see doing this well? I think that the culture piece really has to start at the top. You need companies that are valuing all of their employees as people, which we have seen as just good business in general, but it's living that and not just making it a checkbox. So we're looking at companies who are trying to create a culture where caregivers, so parents, but also people caring for you know their elderly parents or dependent adults, can have that high level of job satisfaction and can feel like they're giving their all at home, right? And we've seen that working can improve parenting satisfaction and that parenting can improve your job satisfaction. So creating a culture that recognizes and values all of that is going to lead to a team of happy, confident working parents that are all contributing to the company's mission. But it has to start at the top. It can't be something that one organization puts forward or one department puts forward. It has to be that the leaders of the organization have a commitment to this value and then are leading by example and living the values of that company. Interesting. That's probably reflective of every kind of cultural change any organization needs to make intentionally, whether it's around valuing diversity, inclusion, and belonging. And this is, in fact, I think, a component of that. I want to break this down more, and I know you guys spend time working directly with employers, thinking through then, how do you get there? So perhaps, Sarah, you could comment on your organization. What do you recommend for how employers move forwards in creating parent-inclusive workplaces? What are the high-level messages here? We've got four different points that we, we want to walk companies through. So as a company looks to solve this problem, or support working parents more in their workplace, 
there are four things to consider. One, they need to assess the problem because you can't create a solution if you don't know exactly what the problem is. Second, you need to define your company's expectations because again, you can't create solutions if you don't know what the framework is for solving those problems. You need to find flexibility. That's item number three. Even in an inflexible world, there are places where you can find bits of flexibility. And then finally, you need to communicate like you have never communicated before, especially during this pandemic. We're being bombarded with messaging and emails and phone calls and chats. You need to make sure that what you're doing really hits home the message that you want to share. Okay. Perhaps we should dig into those each one a little bit more and hear about it. That just is a great framework to use, and you had referred to a framework. So maybe, Amanda, you could take the first of these, which is assess the problem or assess the needs and open that up a little bit. Sure. I think that holding the mirror up to yourself is sometimes one of the hardest pieces, but it is a critical place to start. So taking a look at what those problems and needs are requires talking to the people within your community, right, or within your organization, and is starting to look at it at the company-wide level first. Are there surveys you can do? Can you host listening sessions with working parents, but also with the managers who are supervising those working parents because they're trying to figure out how to navigate this? Is there ways that you can collect feedback directly from managers and supervisors? What is your ERG, if you have one, the employee resource group, saying they are a great bridge between parents and administration? So using the ERGs is great. Bringing in HR. Yeah, I think your answer around how to evaluate the problem, evaluate the need sounds really concrete. So that was step one, gathering information about the problem. So let's move on here. And Sarah, maybe you could speak to step number two, which was define the company expectations. So what does this mean? How does it happen? Absolutely. So I want to just take a step back to something you said earlier, Seth, about the employee needs versus maybe what their supervisor needs as the one who's responsible for getting the work done. So if your company knows what they value, if they know what metrics are important, it's much easier for that supervisor to then be able to find a solution for the employee problem that still fits the parameters of success within the company, right? So if you're measuring metrics of the number of hours your employees work or the number of units that are shipped or whatever that success and profitability and productivity metric is that's really important, you really need to refine that and have a good grasp on that because that's going to be what allows you to create those solutions. Are you suggesting that those metrics need to be changed? If I'm creating widgets and I know my break-even number is 100 widgets an hour, and I'm hoping to make 150 widgets an hour, are you suggesting that I start to give up some of my margin? Literally, how do you help organizations think about that? So in that vein, you have your metrics. You know how profitable your company is. And we're not suggesting that companies should suddenly give up on profitability as an important metric to market. That's the whole point of having a business, right? What we're suggesting is that maybe there are secondary and tertiary metrics that in light of what's going on right now, maybe we check to see to make sure that those are still realistic within the current environment. It's one thing for a company to say that they value their employees, but companies right now are being really tested to live out those values. 
to have a clear view of what's important and sticking to what a company says it's going to do. And because families are being faced with the same thing, what's really important. And it's really hard to prioritize something above your kids. So families will drop to one salary, forget the vacations. They've got to take care of their children, and then they've got to find a way to put food on the plate. And nationally, this is the crisis in front of us, right? Absolutely. So we're not suggesting that it's a long-term switch in metrics, but certainly for the time being, making sure that what you value and what you measure line up. Can we move on to the third step? How do you find flexibility? As a leader of an organization myself, this is hard. This is really hard. And I don't care where your values are. Back to that balance of we still got to get the work done. We still have to fulfill our obligation to our clients because if we're not doing that, we won't be paid and et cetera, et cetera. So I think, Amanda, you were going to speak a little bit to this helping organizations, quote, find flexibility. It is hard. The flexibility is hard and you can only be flexible for so long. And what we thought we could handle in March, now we're looking at into August, September, November (laughs) going forward. How long can you hold that same kind of flexibility? So I think that there's a lot of different ways that you can define flexibility. There's certainly what we normally think about is how can you shift work hours and location and is it okay to work at six o'clock in the morning and then during nap time and then bath time and then after bed and making that kind of flexible schedule work. But then there's also that mental flexibility and it's the creativity in, like Sarah was saying, defining those metrics. Do you have to measure hours in front of a screen or numbers of meetings or is there a different way that you can come up with those metrics? It's building in skill sets around resiliency and agility within your employees and reframing problems in a less negative light, but more of a, all right, we're having a challenge with this, but you won over here. And here is your big win of the day. And let's celebrate on that. Let's talk about what made you successful and how can we move forward from that success point. And I think that having those kind of conversations brings out a creativity and an empathy in the relationships with the employees and their supervisors that maybe we didn't do as much prior to this as we were just in a go, go, go mode. But now we're needing to do that in order to find that flexibility. What then becomes the solution that gives you flexibility? How does focusing on something like resilience and whose resilience makes the situation more flexible? Sure. You know, we've been talking kind of at this company level of this framework of the assess and the expectations and the flexibility, but then you can also put that down at the micro level. So you've got your employee supervisor relationship or you have your team. And by having those structures in at the company level, then you can have managers and supervisors who are empowered to come up with individual solutions with their employees. So it's within the expectations. They may need to be trained on how to do this and how to think creatively. But the way that you talk to an employee that has teenagers and middle schoolers at home that you're trying to help with homeschooling as we go back to school is very different than the way that you can help support somebody who has a baby or a toddler at home. And it may be that you're having creative problem-solving conversations with individuals that are blurring those lines between just, I need you to get this work done, but saying, how can I help you 
think creatively outside of work. What is it that you need in order to be successful? Can we talk about childcare? Can we talk about job sharing? Do you need a little flex on this deadline, but you can get this kind of work done? Maybe you can't do as many face-to-face meetings, but you're really good at the behind the scenes because that doesn't have as many time schedules. So that's kind of where I'm thinking about that flexibility. So let's move on to the fourth step. And Sarah, you said this so well before, if you could just come back to this, it was about, I think your words were over the top communication and you were making the point that we're all bombarded with too much communication on everything right now. So how do you get step four to be impactful? So we are, as I said, being bombarded by information and messages. And it's not just from our workplaces. It's from our kids' childcare providers. It's from our kids' schools and teachers and administrators. You know, my inbox is just completely full with messages I haven't read yet. So in addition to sending out the normal email, make sure that whatever message your company is sending to its working parents, that you're using all of the channels available. So certainly that's email, but that's also making sure that your managers are sharing the same messages that your HR is sharing, that people aren't hearing rumors or secondary information, that there's no grapevine, that your employee resource group is backing up whatever your HR people are saying. So that there's that consistency piece. People are so distracted that they are going to need to hear the message again and again through a variety of methods and channels. The big thing that we want to encourage employers to do, and this is a really easy one, is to emphasize what benefits you have available. Employees often, when they sign on as a new hire, get the packet of information, you're like, oh, great, these are all the things I have available to you. A year and a half down the line, you've put that packet somewhere you don't even remember. So companies need to be actively promoting the benefits that they have if you want people to take advantage of them. So that's a quick thing that we want to encourage, even because managers sometimes forget what's available. The other easy thing that companies can do is have their leaders lead by example. So if you've got these benefits and policies that you want your employees to take advantage of, make sure that those employees are seeing the senior leadership use those benefits and policies as well. And then finally, inviting two-way conversations and communications, which kind of loops back into the whole thing of making sure that what you're providing is what your employees really need and what they're looking for. Got it. Can you give an example? Have you seen C-suite leaders step into this communication challenge that you're talking about, specifically around working parents and their needs? and really elevate this issue. Have you seen examples of that? And what did it look like when you thought it was being particularly well done? I have a company in mind that we've been talking with that's out in Wisconsin, actually. And their CEO has invited his daughter to live with them during this quarantine who has a brand new baby. So he shows up on all of his meetings with this newborn infant in hand. So just that visibility of having a baby is saying to the company, I get it. I also have a baby here. We're all in this together. And then beyond that, they have worked with a lot of their C-level people and higher level executives to create podcasts and to create videos for their employees showing what's going on in their world. What does it look like at their house? What are the struggles that they're dealing with? and some strategies that they're using to kind of move forward. 
So it's just that representation and that leadership coming through is really important. So that sounds like a leadership group doing a beautiful job of sharing the experience, communicating empathy, demonstrating empathy. Has that same organization by chance also reevaluated its policies, its policies about workplace flexibility and the ability of managers to negotiate flexibility with people? Has that also been something they've changed? It's been something that they're working on. None of this is a quick switch, but it has certainly been something that they are working on that communication piece and trying to make sure that everybody is on the same page and is moving forward in the right directions. They had pretty robust work from home policies beforehand. So now it's just recognizing that while people are at home, they also have their kids at home. But I have definitely seen from them an increase in things that help with the well-being of their employees. You know, somebody put together a mindfulness podcast and walked employees through some meditation and some ways to kind of reset pretty quickly, you know, five minute, 10 minute videos that wasn't being used before. And now they're stepping up to say, we're taking care of the whole person. And you had made a comment earlier about personal resilience as well. So back to making sure those resources are brought forwards and people remember and they're accessible. Right. Got it. Very good. So Sarah and Amanda, I just really want to thank you for your time, the expertise you've shared, these perspectives. I honestly don't think are being articulated this clearly anywhere else. So you really have a unique perspective and a unique set of learnings to share with everybody. So I thank you for that. And your framework, I think, is excellent and it's tangible. So thank you for your time today. Thank you for having us. We have definitely enjoyed being here talking with you and sharing all of this with KGA. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. From KGA, this is The Difference at Work. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you access your podcasts. You can find all of the organizations and resources we've referenced in this episode on our website, www.kgreer.com. That's K-G-R-E-E-R.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn. And if you want to talk further about anything you've heard on this podcast, we hope you won't hesitate to call. We can be reached at 800-648-9557. Thank you for listening.